one of the myths that I had to throw out the window was breastfeeding your baby is the only and best way for them to grow to be healthy. You're listening to Disrupting Balance, the podcast, where we are busting myths and breaking balance. Here's stories from women who are pushing boundaries to navigate the decisions and changes that come with work, womanhood, and winning. I'm your host, Hanifa Barnes, speaker, decision strategist, and master imbalancepreneur. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Hope you enjoy. Hi, guys. Welcome back. So glad you can join me. Whether it's Monday morning, first thing, or sometime later, I absolutely appreciate all of your support. Before we meet today's guest, let's talk a little bit about the Big Myth campaign, because you know it is Big Myth campaign season. As you know, we've announced our winners, but I'm still sharing all of those myths that you all shared with me. And here's one from an anonymous guest. She says, You must focus career aspirations based on your degree and experience and not shift careers or pursue something totally unrelated. Now we know that is not true and it is an absolute big myth. I have a bachelor's degree in journalism and communications, a law degree and a master's in business administration. I've been a teacher, a professional actor, an administrator, a political strategist and fundraiser, a policy analyst, an operations leader, I mean, you name it. And if I stuck to that belief that I had to focus my aspirations on my degree only, I would definitely be missing out on so many of the wonderful opportunities that I've had. So today's guest is absolutely amazing and juggles it all. She is a commercial real estate professional, makeup artist, mother of two, and blogger who is breaking boundaries by not settling for the status quo. She has spent over 15 years building her career in corporate real estate, all while continuing to pursue her makeup projects as her side hustle. You don't want to miss this episode where she talks about growing up in a Mexican family and shifting the traditions when she had her own family and how she pivoted between makeup and commercial real estate and why breastfeeding was just not for her. So hello, everybody. Today in the guest chair, we have Gisette Renteria. So glad you could be here with us today. Gisette, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited that you're here. I know there are a lot of good things that you have to share with us today. But before we get started, my very first question to you is, what is your story? My story. So my story is I am um, the daughter of immigrants. I am one of five sisters. I am a mom, a full-time real estate professional also a makeup artist, and I am married. So I live in Los Angeles, California, and for the past 15, 20 years, I've kind of made my career in balancing 
as a business professional in real estate, but also as a makeup artist. And just a few years ago, I became a mom. Wow. that That's a lot happening at all at once. Yes. So let's talk about some of your myths around motherhood. I would say that one of the myths that I really had to, um, one of the myths that I had to throw out the window was breastfeeding your baby is the only and best way for them to grow, to be healthy and um, thrive. And where did, where did that come from for you? What did you see or learn in your experiences to make you feel like you had to do that and that was the only way? Well, I kind of walked into it just assuming, like when I, when I found out that I was pregnant with my daughter, I just kind of assumed that that was the the thing to do was breastfeed. Obviously, everybody assumes that that's the good thing to do. I was I gave birth at a Catholic hospital, so breastfeeding is a big deal. They have lactation consultants available, and they really really encourage it. So I just assumed that that's what I was going to do. Um, and everybody everybody tells you, you know, best breastfeeding is the best way you really should try to breastfeed. And it seems like that's the first question that a lot of people ask you is, are you going to breastfeed? And it seems like if you say, well, I'm not sure if I am, you almost kind of feel like they're looking at you. They look at you weird and funny because they assume that that's the best way. So when I gave birth to my daughter, I, um, I thought it was going to be like a no brainer. I was going to be able to breastfeed. And at that time, one of my sisters had a baby that she was breastfeeding as well. So I figured she's just going to help me and we're going to nail this and we're going to get through it and it's going to be totally fine. Well, for me, it was quite the opposite. It was extremely hard. Um, I wasn't prepared whatsoever. And even though I had a lactation consultant helping me through it, it just wasn't working for me. I feel like maybe I, I, didn't prepare myself well at the beginning or actually during pregnancy. And so when um, I started to do it, it was really hard. My daughter wasn't latching properly. I wasn't producing as much as I thought I was. I had to, um, you know, those first few weeks um, after having the baby, I had a really hard time. And so how did that make you feel? Because I know when you give birth, your your emotions are already, already heightened. So as a mother who felt breastfeeding was the way for her baby to thrive, and then you realize you can't do it, or it's challenging for you, how did it make you feel? And what did you do to kind of push past that emotion? It made me feel really bad. I felt super guilty. Um, I cried every day for about six weeks and it doesn't make it any better when, you know, your family, you know, they always have the best intentions in mind. Um, and they call you, you know, she was my first baby. It seems like the conversation always led to that. Are you breastfeeding? Well, yeah, I'm breastfeeding, but I'm having a really hard time, I would say. I, I don't know if this is going to be for us. It almost adds another layer of guilt. You're already carrying this guilt with you that you can't, you're not able to do it. And then families asking you, like, for instance, one time I had a cousin who is a man, by the way, uh -huh. um, who called to congratulate me. 
And he asked me, oh, well, are you giving her your milk? And I said, well, I'm trying to, but I'm not sure if this is going to be the way that we're going to go. And he said, well, you really should feed her your milk because that is the best and most nutritious way that you can feed your baby. So I would, you know, I would spend my days crying and talking to my mom about it. And it it just wasn't getting any better for me. And I felt like I was a prisoner to the pump because I was trying to feed my baby, but she wouldn't latch. So I had to pump. And so I was pumping all day. I felt like I was pumping all day, every single day, every like 45 minutes just to produce milk. It just wasn't working out for me. And so I had to make my mom, obviously I talked to my mom and my mom would just be super encouraging. And she would say, don't worry. The most important thing to do is to feed your baby no matter what way, whether it's breastfeeding or formula feeding, your baby is going to be healthy no matter what. So I think six weeks into it, I made the decision. I believe I felt super guilty about making the decision, but I did. I decided that that was it for us. And I stopped and she started formula feeding at six weeks. And I think that for us, it was the best decision. Yeah. Good for you for making that decision because it's tough. There's so much happening when you become a mother for the first time. And did you follow that same pattern with your son? Did you try and then stop or did you just decide I'm going to do formula? No. So for my son, I went into it like, I'm going to give this another shot and see how it goes. For my son, he was actually pretty successful. We were successful at him latching. Um, So that was not a problem at all. But I wasn't producing a lot of milk. So I gave myself about um, six weeks again. And um, there was a time that I was feeding him formula and breast milk. And after the six weeks, Again, I just felt like, okay, at this point, I think it's okay to stop. This is what we did with our daughter, and she's perfectly healthy. Good for you. I mean, I did something similar too, had challenges and decided, you know, I can't. And I'm not stressing myself out because I'm stressing myself out. I can stress my baby out. So I made a similar choice each time myself. So kudos to you. I know uh, for women, we have so many myths around motherhood. And one word you mentioned was the word guilt. And I believe there's so many myths around this idea of guilt. So tell me a little bit about your experiences with with guilt as a mother, like now, today. What does that look like for you? I still feel guilty. I don't feel as guilty as I used to before, but I think that I don't think the guilt, the mother guilt ever ends because, you know, there's different phases and stages and chapters of our lives and they all kind of revolve around the kids and we all have to make adjustments. So like, I want to, I like to work out. I, I like to work out. I feel like I have to make it part of my life in order to be the best mother and the best wife, um, for my family. So I get up, between five and five 30 in the morning to go get a workout in. So by the time I'm finished an hour later, my kids are still asleep. So that didn't interfere with them. If I want to go for a hike that I know is going to take about two to three hours, I kind of think about it. 
because it's like if I go on a hike for two to three hours on a Saturday, that's going to take away from my family and I might feel a little bit guilty. So let me just go for a 45 minute run. So I think that we always feel guilty, even in general, like I, I'm a working professional. So sometimes, you know, working professionals have happy hour. I mean, this is pre-COVID times, of course. And sometimes I would feel guilty saying yes to those happy hours because, you know, I had babies at home that I hadn't seen all day. How could I possibly go and have drinks with coworkers um, if my kids are home? But um, I know that in order for us to be the better version of ourselves and be good parents, we have to give ourselves that time. Yeah. Yes. So how do you deal with the dynamics of your guilt with your husband and kind of his role as a father and a husband? Because I'm sure he sees when you're getting anxious or you're stressed. So is this something you talk about with him? How do you all manage that? I mean, we, we of course talk about it. I, I don't probably necessarily share too much of like the guilt that I feel because even though I know that he's just as much a devoted father to the children as I am a devoted mother, I don't think that men carry that guilt. So right. I don't think that they actually get it. Um, so when I say, you know, I want to go to happy hour, but I feel really bad. He probably doesn't make too much of a deal of it because mm -hmm. in his mind, he's like, well, if you want to go to happy hour, you should go to happy hour. Right. So it's definitely, um, totally different dynamic, totally different ways of handling the situation, but I still share it. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if he fully understands the way that I feel, but I still share it. And sometimes Good. he'll say, just, just go do it. It's okay. Yeah. So, so you have sisters. How many I sisters do you have? I have four sisters. So we're five total. Wow. Five girls. I bet your dad was just like, whoa, what a blessing. Yeah, I think so. I think now he feels like he's so blessed to have girls because we take yeah. care of them. Yeah, exactly. So how do you kind of share or engage with your sisters when it comes to your role now as a mother and a wife? Do you all discuss some of the challenges, some of the good, good things? Like how do you all interact when it comes to your families and you guys being mothers and wives? So let's talk about that a little. Yes. So all five of us have children. Only one of us is not married, but the dynamic is amazing. I am so happy that I just have sisters. Well, that I have sisters um, because we're able to lean on each other. We've been able to go through so many different stages in our lives together. Um, we take care of our parents. I think that growing up, it was probably a lot of work for my mom and dad to raise five girls. But I think now they're really reaping the rewards of it because we take care of them. We're on top of everything for them. Um, they enjoy the family dynamic that I feel they created. So it's awesome. So let's talk about that family dynamic because when you say that family dynamic growing up, I hear the word tradition. What were some of those traditions growing up? Because you're a Mexican family and there are certain traditions, I'm sure, 
that you saw as a child and that you probably have carried into your own family. So what were some of those traditions? Some of those traditions, I mean, the number one tradition that we had, you know, I grew up in a in a very traditional Mexican household. I mean, just in our household, it was it was five children, right? But my mom's family is, you know, my mom had eight brothers and sisters. So we always grew up together, like my mom's brothers and sisters and all their kids. We did so many things, so many family events together. That's, you know, the earliest memories that I have is always like getting together with my mom's entire family, which now basically becomes like the size of a wedding. But back then it was, um, it wasn't as many, you know, it was just, a f- you know, cousins and, and aunts and uncles, but like some of our childhood traditions include like, we would get together for Christmas and we would make, you know, the traditional Mexican dish, which is tamales. That's one of the earliest traditions that they started for us. And we continue to do it. Um, we always get together, but now it's just, you know, my sisters and my mom and I, and we get together a few days before Christmas Eve. And we just kind of sit around the table, making tamales, talking. We look forward to it every single year because, you know, it's kind of time that we have together. Yeah. So what is one tradition that you know for sure that you just don't continue because of your life and how things have changed? Is there one thing that you can think of that you no longer do? Well, we definitely no longer get together with as often with my mom's side of the family. Um, It's just gotten too big and everybody is grown up. Everybody has their own families. So we don't do that as much anymore. But when we do get together, it's extremely fun. And we we talk about like, you know, the, the memories that we had when we were kids. Another thing that we also did when we were kids was our gram- our grandma and grandpa every summer used to take about 10 or 12 of us of their grandchildren to Mexico and we would spend weeks with them in Mexico. You know, I remember that we would wake up in the morning and we would see the cows walking down the street or we would go get the milk. You know, we would walk to go get the milk. So all of those are things that we don't do. And my kids, now that they're, you know, now that I have kids, I would love for them to experience those things, but Mm -hmm. I don't think they ever will. So let's just pivot a little bit. So you are a makeup artist, but let's talk about that journey of the makeup artist and what that was like for you and how it unfolded. Like, how did you know you wanted to do that? And what was it like when you got started? So I've always wanted to do makeup. I always had this creative side. Even when I was in high school, I used to do my makeup for Halloween. And I always, I was never like the pretty sexy cop or the, you know, sexy ballerina. I always wanted to be like a character with really cool makeup. And so after high school, I always wanted to go to makeup school. I wanted to learn how to do makeup for movies and um, special effects um, and also beauty. So um, so I, um, I started at a community college and I took like a theater makeup class and I really liked it. And then, um, and then I found a school in Burbank called Makeup Designery and I researched it and looked, in, looked into it. It was quite expensive. So I didn't start right away. Um, 
I think it took me like a year before I decided like, I'm just going to do it. Um, I took a course, beauty makeup, and then also special effects. And then um, once I finished that, they kind of help you get your career started by uh, referring you to small uh, projects. And at that time, you just kind of do it for no money. You basically are not making like any money. And it's more so for like the references and the people that you're going to meet and building your network of people. So I would say yes to everything because at that time I lived with my parents and I didn't really have too many financial responsibilities. And that's kind of how I got my start in the industry. Wow. And so what times of what types of projects did you work on in the industry? I did a little bit of everything. I did some film. I did some music videos. I also did some regular print work. Um, so I got a little bit, my hands dirty and a little bit of everything. I was able to kind of like really look at and experience the different sectors within the makeup industry. I started to pinpoint what I liked and what I didn't like, where I wanted to spend most of my time and where I didn't. So you're, you're now in real estate, actually, for the last several years. And I'm curious, how do those two things really work together? What are some of the skills you picked up as a makeup artist that you now are able to transfer as a real estate professional? Building a Business in real estate is very similar. I mean, you have to go out there and network. You have to meet people. You build your portfolio of clients. You get referrals. So in a way, it's really the same, even though it's two different industries. Yes. So when you enter, let's talk about building a business and some of the myths around building your business. What did you believe in the beginning that you had to do versus now when you realize, oh, maybe I don't have to do that? I thought that I had to say yes to everything. <laughs> when I was a makeup artist, um, I thought that my way in to the industry was to say yes to everything. Mm -hmm. And so it's the same thing in real estate. I felt like I'm in a different sector of real estate now, but back when I got my start in real estate, I was in residential sales. I thought then also that I had to say yes to all of the clients that wanted me to help them buy a house or sell a house. And it's the same thing. And in, in, it was the same thing in makeup. I thought that I had to say yes to all the projects that came my way so I could build my network of people so I can continue getting jobs and probably getting more, more money-making jobs. But now I realize that you don't have to work with everybody just for the sake of thinking that that's going to be your next ticket to the next job, because yeah. you're working with so many different personalities that you don't have to work with them if you don't want to. I just think that you can pick and choose who you want to work with. So it's important to actually recognize that you have the power to make that decision, right? That you don't have to work with everybody. Do you know at what point you realized that? Was there a pivotal moment? Yes, there was a pivotal moment. Um, I realized it after I had a client in real estate who treated me so bad. Um, she made me jump through so many hoops. She wasn't nice to me. She wasn't nice to the other person that we were working with. And at the end of all the grief, 
she didn't even end up making the sale. <laughs> I wasted months, time, money. And that is when I decided that I was going to pick and choose who I wanted to work with. And I wasn't going to try to take take the next job or try to take the next deal just because I thought that that was the only, you know, because I was trying to say yes to the money. I wanted to decide that I, I decided that I was going to take jobs that were going to be meaningful to me and that I was actually going to learn something from them and that I was going to be able to provide something better for the people that I was working with. That technically was the most pivotal moment. So you were able to build a makeup business, you were able to build a real estate business, and now you're building a media platform at some point called Working Mamacita. Tell me a little bit about that. So WorkingMamacitas.com is in a one-stop online community that I wanted to create for everything beauty, fashion, lifestyle, and career for the working mama. Um, I figured, you know, I've always wanted that inspiration as a makeup artist. I love everything beauty and fashion. Um, as a real estate professional, I feel like there's so much that I'd like to share regarding lifestyle and career. And, you know, now that I'm a working mom, I, I felt like there was a need for like a community where moms can just come and take a look and see if there's advice on, you know, how they can create a five to 10 minute makeup look to go to work and look presentable and, and not look like they didn't, they only slept like three hours a night mm -hmm. because they were up with their children. Mm -hmm. Or if a mom was a stay at home mom for a while, but she's wanting to get back into the workforce, she can go in into working mamacitas and try to find some resources as a, that relate to like for working moms, things like that, that I've learned in the entire time that I've been in business, I wanted to share with everybody. So that's why I, I created an, on, an online community. So I'm assuming the source of inspiration was really your experiences, right? Because everything you're talking about seems to be something that you've really been able to tap into at some point in your life. So was that the main source of inspiration? Yes, it was completely the main source of inspiration, but I also wanted to feel inspired what other by what other working moms have to say. This isn't just my story. I think it's everybody's story. There's so much that we can all learn from one another. And I think that it, it could be a place where we can uplift each other. But I also want to showcase other working moms that are doing things too, that are, you know, and not just like the models or the actresses or the celebrities. It's like everyday working moms, like the teacher, like, for example, one of my sisters, she's a fourth grade teacher. I think she is one of the most incredible teachers in the world. I think she was born to teach. We need to showcase her story because mm -hmm. her story matters. Where do you find your sources of joy and inspiration each day? I find my sources of joy from my children and my sources of inspiration just by looking at the world. I like to people watch. And also if I'm out for a run, even though I'm running, I'm still kind of either people watching or nature watching. And that's mm -hmm. kind of where I find a lot of inspiration. I think when I'm running, I kind of think of my best ideas. Um, yeah, that's where it comes from. Mm -hmm. 
I am Gisette Renteria and I am disrupting balance by not settling for the status quo. Thank you for listening to Disrupting Balance. To learn more about how I'm disrupting balance, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Disrupting Balance. You can also check out my website at www.disruptingbalance.com to get podcast updates and news from the Balance Disruptor community about how you can become your very own master in balancepreneur. Talk soon.